You're listening to Cleveland First Baptist Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Rick Dill. For more information, please visit clevelandfirstbaptistchurch.com. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. It's always um, fun and a little shocking when you pull out old pictures like that and see how you used to look. There were a few, I think, that might not have recognized themselves at first. We've all had that experience for sure. Uh, Wesley read uh, a really well-known passage about the healing of this lame man. And um, we know this text, though, really better from the Luke account because he gives us more details, if you recall, There were four friends, and they bring uh, the crippled man, and they can't get into the house because it's so packed, and they go up to the roof and uh, dig open a hole and lower him down before Jesus, sort of between him and the Pharisees. And when Jesus sees this man, what you would expect him to say is, you're healed. But that's not what he says. What he says is, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders who are listening, they're shocked at that, and they don't say anything right off, but they're thinking, this guy has got to go. He's blaspheming God. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he just asked them. He just says, well, what's harder, to say to this lame man, get up and walk, or to say to him, your sins are forgiven? They didn't have a quick answer to that, and Jesus heals the man, and he gets up, picks up his mat, and goes home. And then Jesus says something we should never forget. He says in verse 6, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. As we discussed last week, illness is often in the New Testament a picture of sin. And the power of Jesus to heal, heal uh, illness is, is physical proof that he also can heal our spiritual problem. He can forgive sin. Jesus is comparing sickness to sinfulness. And we want to kind of look at that today. You know, the problem with sin is really threefold. First of all, though, it, it makes us unfit for life with a holy God. So it isolates us from our relationship to him. 
And it often isolates us from the people that we love as well. It makes us unfit for relationships, period. The physical handicap that this man suffered, being lame, it made him really unfit for life. He would probably have been carried to one of the city gates where people with that handicap stayed all day, every day, and begged. That would have been the only thing that he could have done. If he was born lame, then that means he would not have been able to marry. He would not have had a family. Most of what we know as a healthy relationship would have been for this man completely out of reach because of his physical handicap. But even worse, it made him unfit for God's service. Um, The physical handicap of any kind at that time disqualified a person from being allowed to serve in God's temple. Let me just read Leviticus 21 here. We read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to Aaron. In all future generations, none of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether he is blind or lame or disfigured or disformed, because of his physical defect, he may not enter the room behind the inner curtain or approach the altar for this would defile my holy places. I'm the Lord who makes them holy. So the descendants of Aaron, who were designated the priests, who served through all of those centuries and centuries in the temple, um, Aaron was Moses' brother, and these priests, they brought all of the sacrifices for the people before God. That was their responsibility. And we have no indication, of course, that this man was of priestly heritage. But nevertheless, it really makes no difference. He would have been acutely aware of the fact that his uh, inability, his, his handicap, really made him unfit to serve in the presence of God. You know, in the same way, sin makes us unfit for the life God calls us to live. Sin damages our ability to have a relationship with our spouse and our fathers and mothers and friends and children. And sin is also the very thing that hinders us from our relationship with God. Secondly, the problem with sin is that it brings into our lives, it makes us uh, unable, it is something that we're unable to make right. Sin, whether intentional or accidental, is something that we just can't make good. We are unable to change ourselves. Let me uh, compare our predicament with the battle that I've had all my life with weight. I got tickled this morning. Several people, as they would see their own picture, you know, said, whoo, a few pounds there, you know, and I imagine that most of us would be that way. But that's been a lifelong struggle for me. When, when I was born, my great-grandmother came to the hospital, I'm told, and at that time you didn't have the baby in your room. The baby was for those first few days in the nursery, and you looked at those babies behind a glass. I don't know if you do that anymore. I, I doubt it. So um, my great-grandmother comes, and she's, they're pointing me out among the babies, and when she sees me, she bursts into tears. And she says, oh, he's born without a neck, you know. (laughs) Really, I had a neck. It was just hidden under a roll. 
because that's just how I started out. How many diets? I suspect that I've lost my entire body weight 10 times in my lifetime, always just to gain it back. There's one word for that, unable. I have a well-meaning doctor who pounces every year when I have my checkup. I've mentioned him before. You know, he's about 5'4 and weighs 91 pounds, so he has no idea. And as I've shared before, he, he looks at my chart every year, then he sizes me up over his glasses, and then he attacks. This year, he took it a step further. He says, how in the world do you preach to others when you weigh as much as you weigh? Don't you know that's gluttony? Well, after that short sermon, uh, I laughed, of course. But in reality, it's painful. Not just seeing the scales or feeling like a walrus. The pain is being unable to change that. That is man's problem. The lame man couldn't just grit his teeth and say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up and take my mat home. He wasn't able to stand up. Sin is like that. We don't want to hurt and disappoint those we care about, but we do. We don't want to fail God, but we do. We just can't make ourselves right. And thirdly, sin makes us unusable, unfit, unable, and unusable. Illness, especially in Jesus' day, resulted in the loss of purpose, any serious illness. A lame person who might have been a farmer or a carpenter or a small business owner, there's none of that that he could have done. How wonderful that we live in a different world today. We know um, a young man who has muscular dystrophy, a terrible physical uh, disability, a brilliant mind, and all his life he wanted to be a surgeon, and at some point a very wise counselor said to him, that's not going to work because you just can't stand that long. But he said, there are a lot of things you can do. And today he's a physician's assistant and doing a great job. But in Jesus' day, to be lame would have been to be condemned to a life of begging at the city gate. You were robbed of all purpose. And this may be the worst problem that sin brings to us. God had created man to live in fellowship with him. Sin destroyed that. But God had also created man for a task. Caring for his creation. Our lives were to be lived in his presence for his purpose. Fulfilling his purposes is what gives meaning to our lives. Sin just makes us unusable for the kingdom of God. Immediately following the story of the lame man's healing, Matthew tells of his own call to follow Jesus. Now, you've got to remember, Matthew was a tax collector. He would have been called chief among the sinners. He was considered much worse than anybody else. And he certainly would have been considered unfit to serve God in any way. And he was unable to make himself whole, unusable for the kingdom of God. And we read 
And Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, obviously, the religious people standing around, they didn't like that at all. They were criticizing Jesus and saying to Jesus' followers, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's you and me, by the way. We're the scum. And Jesus responded, well, healthy people, they don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. Unfit, unable, unusable. So it is these who are sick that need a doctor who need Jesus. If we're unfit for the kingdom and unable to change that, then we need a Savior. And Jesus came to be that Savior. You know, the Pharisees have just seen Jesus heal the lame man and then call a tax collector to be his disciple, uh, a guy that's considered to be worse than anybody else. But when Matthew throws a party so all of his sinful friends can rub elbows with Jesus, they are extremely angry. And they say, well, why should we hang around with people like that? And Jesus said, that's the very reason I came, because they are unfit for the kingdom. But I am going to change that. The point is our great need. I think this is something that we all struggle with. I think it is hard for us to see ourselves as unfit for the kingdom of God. You know, I, I love to take my grandchildren to the McWayne Science Center. It is a lot of fun for adults, too. But one of my favorite things is this room they have with all of those distorted mirrors. And what I really like to do is stand in front of the one that makes me look six and a half feet tall and gives me a 28-inch waist. I love it. You know, we are wonderful at seeing the sinfulness of others, but we are bad at seeing our own. Like Adam and Eve, when confronted with ourselves, we generally blame somebody else. There is some reason other than me, surely. And there is a reason for that. When we look in the spiritual mirror, it is not a pretty sight. We need a Savior. Jesus said, that's why I came. You know, the most amazing thing about the gospel is that God wanted us. You know, we sing that song sometime. We sang it a couple of weeks ago. He didn't want heaven without us. That is an amazing thought. And Jesus came because he wants to heal us. He said to them, for I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. So Jesus just says it. I want to touch the lives of people who are just like Matthew, no matter how broken by sin. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus came in the midst of our sin, not when we first cleaned ourselves up and got everything straight and were doing 
the right thing. Jesus came in the midst of our brokenness to heal us. And beyond that, he came to change us, to restore our purpose in the kingdom of God, to make us useful. You know, we've heard it so many times all our lives. Jesus looks at Matthew, a tax collector of all people, the most despised of sinners. And he looks at this guy and he says, follow me. I'm going to make you useful for the kingdom of God. A few years ago, a movie came out depicting the Hollywood version of the Old Testament story of Noah's Ark. And there were a lot of things in that movie uh, that were incorrect as far as sticking to the biblical account. But there was one amazingly effective portrayal in that movie. The portrayal of how sin affected God's creation. Not just man, that too. But also the whole of creation died because of sin. You know, the ark didn't just rescue man from his sin, but... Through the ark, the covenant between man and God was renewed and God restored him to his original purpose. Man had been cast out because of sin. The ark opened the door for his return. Thus the ark becomes a picture, an Old Testament picture of what Jesus would do. Paul says in Romans that the potter, God, has the right to make whatever he wants from the lump of clay. And that's us. But you know, the amazing thing is that he can use us at all. But he chooses to do that. Please hear this. Your brokenness does not mean that God can't use you. He can. And he wants to. And he will. Finally, we want to look at the cure for a minute. In the midst of a global pandemic, we all pray every day that God will give us a cure and get things back to normal. We know what it is to need a cure for the sickness that plagues all of mankind. But how does a spiritual cure look? We have a good idea of how that might look if a vaccine is finally developed and we can begin to cure the coronavirus, but how does it look to be spiritually cured? Well, the first thing we find in this passage is that the cure is not found in hollow religion. It's not found in ritual. Jesus quotes a passage from Hosea in which the prophet is calling the people to a genuine faith, something more than just hollow religion. And he says, then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So it isn't just religion that we need. It is Jesus. The Jews of Hosea's day, they were faithful in their religious practices, in offering their sacrifices but they showed no mercy to those around them. That religion was hollow, a faith in God that changed them and made them like Him, that remolded them, was not evident at all. The cure we're looking for is is just not ritual. It is a change of heart. It is Jesus. 
And if the cure is real, then we find in our worship and in our relationship to God and all those who follow him an unspeakable joy. It is joyous. You know, we, what do we say when we're, you know, talking about a worship service? We say, well, we're going to, what is the verb we use always with worship? Celebrate. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate, you know, a worship service. Uh, you don't ever say, well, we're mourning the Lord's Supper today. I mean, you wouldn't even dream of saying that. Or we're mourning today together in worship. I mean, unless it was maybe a funeral or something. You know, but a normal worship service You celebrate. Jesus compares it to the joy of a bridegroom who comes for the bride. He says in verse 15, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Let me point out here that Jesus is using an illustration that is used in many places in the New Testament to describe the church and our relationship to Christ. We're the bride and he is the bridegroom. When we worship, we worship in the presence of the, of the bridegroom. When we come to worship, it's joyous because we are in the presence of Jesus. When we see a church that seems divided over the color of the carpet or some other silly thing that only the world would worry about, the question is a question for the heart. Do we have the joy that comes from the presence of the bridegroom? When we worship Jesus together, he is, he said himself, there among us. For one who knows him, that means great joy in the presence of the bridegroom. If I find no joy in worship, where is then the bridegroom? The problem is not the worship style, what songs we sing or whether we stand or sit or Shout or don't, that isn't the point at all. The problem, if I find no joy in worship, is the absence of the bridegroom in my heart. Finally, the cure that Jesus brings is powerful. Jesus completes this section with a picture, a kind of odd picture for us because we don't use wineskins to store wine anymore. But at that time, you put wine into wine skins, you know, a thing, you remember what they looked like. But one thing you could not do, you couldn't put new wine that was not yet fermented in an old skin because once it was stretched and stayed there for a while, it, it became rigid. And to put new wine in, when it expanded, then the wine skin would crack, it would explode and destroy both. What the Spirit of God does in us is much more powerful than our sin. And that new Spirit-filled life cannot be placed in the same old structures of our sinful life. It must be able to do something in us that's new. God's Spirit cannot be contained in the old structures of just religion. Instead, the Spirit has to be able to change us. We become new creations in God with a new purpose. We are simply different people. For the lame man, this was wonderful news. For Matthew, the hated tax collector, this was wonderful news. 
And for you and me, sinners without any hope of redemption, this is wonderful news. So here's the take home. Jesus is the cure that you need in your life. He is enough. And, and he wants to change you. To fill you with the joy of his forgiveness. And to review, renew the purpose of your life. But he can't be contained in your old life structure. Come to Jesus. Follow him. Be his disciple. And let him make you new. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that, that you do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And that when we're unable and unfit, that you come and do a new thing in our hearts. Father, we ask you that you would um, come into our lives and that you would just um, make us the new people that you want us to be where we're holding on to old wineskins, to old pointless structures or ritual, I pray, Father, that you would show us the difference between that and real life in you. Lord, we thank you that you speak clearly through your spirit to us. Thank you, Lord, that you want to use us and can use us, that you can transform us and fill us with purpose. And we ask, Father, that you would just do that in our hearts. Help us sense your presence and to know that you're there and to follow you, Lord, like Matthew did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.